You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Lord, no matter the shape that our hearts are in, Lord, no matter the wrong and the right we've done, Father, you don't come to us and judge but you hold our hearts. And when our hearts break, when our hearts break, you're so gracious. When our son or our daughter or our close friend, they let us down. You're there and you whisper in our ear that you're here. So God, this Sunday, today, the 22nd, God, this church hands you our hearts and we beg, and we beg for you to protect them. We were so gracious. In your holy name we pray. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, now you can stand back up. (laughs) Amen. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to begin at verse 1. I also want to thank Reggie. He did a tremendous job last week. Had an opportunity to listen to the message. And man, it, it blessed my heart. I've heard from so many that said, Brother Jeff, he just did a great job. And, you know, I always thank the Lord that uh, when I, I was in revival, but when I have to be away, that, uh, that we have godly men that can step up here and do that. So, uh, you know, I'm thankful for that. And it's good to be back. But in Genesis chapter 4, we're moving through the book of Genesis. Last week, Reggie was in chapter 3. Today, we're in chapter 4. So let's pick up at verse 1 there. Adam lay with his wife, Eve, and she became... That's the PG-13 version. Adam lay with his wife, Eve. She became pregnant, and she gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. You ever notice a second born? Isn't it funny? You know, we talked about the middle child. Uh, you know, you got a thousand pictures of the first born and there's two of the second one, you know. So uh, you, that, you almost get the feeling here a little bit. And then, there was, and then Abel came along. And Abel kept flocks. Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions from some of the first born of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, 
Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wonder on earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray together. Again, Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for already speaking to our hearts. We pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to enliven, energize your word, dear Lord. Break down any barrier in any heart. Dear Lord, I pray that you would cleanse me, forgive me of any thought, any deed, any idle word or glance. Lord, let me be a vessel that you can use. This is a critical passage of Scripture that, Lord, we must all understand. And we give you the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. When, I, when we lived in Zimbabwe, there was a snake called a black mamba. Uh, a black mamba is a snake that is very, very aggressive. This snake will... This snake, if this snake sees you, will actually chase you and is extremely fast. It can kill a person in four minutes, okay? If you get bit by a black mamba, you got about four minutes to live. It's that toxic and just that quickly it can, it can take your life. Now, um, it'll also raise up. We were told on the mission field not only to stay away from them, but not even to run over them because they're known to raise up and they've been known to strike through an open window of a vehicle. So they are an extremely dangerous snake. I had a friend of mine, they also have a green mamba that's not quite as poisonous as that. A friend of mine named John Dinah, who was a missionary, and John Dinah, while loading equipment on the back of his truck, was bitten by a green mamba. He had heavy jeans on, and the only one fang was able to penetrate the back of his leg. He said in that moment, you know, it was just chaos. He was able to get in his truck, round up the nationals, because they took off running. You know, he got everybody in his truck. Then he began to make his way home. He was way up in the, in the northern part of Mozambique. He was away from civilization. He said, I began to get sick. I was pulling over on the side of the road, throwing up. He said, I was able to finally radio, get my wife, and tell her, listen, I am dying. And she located a, a German doctor, a missionary aviation fellowship, flew in, was able to pick him up and get him to South Africa, and he's a walking miracle today. Now, I say all that to say this, because last week Reggie did a fantastic job of introducing us to a dynamic in the, in the garden, and that is the dynamic of evil. Our enemy, Satan, Satan, Diabolos, the devil, the devil, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren, the 
father of lies. And uh, some of my guys were quoting you this morning. One of them said that basically Reggie was saying in that cocoon of perfection, evil was able to slip in. And that's true. We have a snake that's in the garden. I wrote this down because I thought this was good. Herschel Hobbes said this. He said, Genesis 4 is a chapter of re-beginnings. In other words, the word Genesis, and the book is written by Moses, that word means beginning. He said chapter 4 could be titled re-beginnings. Adam and Eve are driven from Eden. The image of God in them has been marred by sin. In such a condition, they could not have unbroken... Now listen to that, because I thought that was good. They could not have unbroken fellowship with God. In a sense, though God was still mindful of man, man was left to himself in a hostile creation. Having defied God's will, he was now captive to Satan's will. And the sin which seemed to be so small in its deed soon raised its ugly head. Sin never lessens. Now listen to this. Sin never lessens but grows worse in degree. He continues... Chapter 4 is a chapter of first. Sex, conception, birth, the first agricultural work, the first shepherding work, the first offering to God, the first murder, the first city, the first polygamy, the first musician, the first industry, the first public worship, and the first question, am I my brother's keeper? Some people have said that Cain and Abel were twins. That it's possible they might have been twins. I don't know that I hold to that position. I believe Cain was the firstborn and then later Abel came. Now I want you to look at something. I want you to look at the first part of chapter 4 and I want to ask you a question. Who named Cain? Who do you believe named Cain? Do what? Sounds like Eve, doesn't it? And, and I, I think, you know, Reggie, I'm not really sure, but I would think most theologians would say when they look at this passage that it is, that it is Eve that names Cain. And, and when, I, when I thought about that for a minute, a minute and I listened to your message, I thought, again, there's still some mission problems here. You would think that Adam would be the one to name the firstborn son, but it's Eve, and it's almost as if there's still a, a problem here with submission, that Greek word, hupotasso, to come under authority, as if Eve is still struggling to find her place even in the, even in the fourth chapter here, even in the beginning in the life of, uh, in the life of Cain. Now, there are three questions here, and the first question is this. It is a question of sacrifice. I want you to look at verses 3 through 5 again, because in verse 3 it says this, In the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil of, a, of, his, of the offering as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So first of all, I want you to look here in this passage, and if you look at Cain... The, the wording here is, is that Cain brought some of his fruits. He brought some of his, some of his work. It, it almost carries the idea here of being a little bit apathetic or indifferent. It's, it's kind of, have you ever gone somewhere and you said, you know, we need to take a present? You ever do that? We, we need to take a present. So, uh, honey, you know, somebody's in the, in the closet rummaging around. 
Hey, we, we got this a couple of Christmases ago. Do you need this? No, I don't need it. Throw it in a bag and let's carry it on, you know. It, 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 you almost get that kind of feeling here that there's no sacrifice. It was almost as if it's something left over. Sheila, a lot of times, would pull something out of the refrigerator and she'd look and put it on the table and she'd say, we've got to eat this today before it ruins. And, and my thought is, well, how do we know it hasn't ruined already? Well, we'll see if we live or not, you know. Uh, this, is, this is the idea of Cain. I remember when I was pastoring in my first church, we were poor as dirt. We made $200 a week. We lived in a parsonage. We had nothing. We literally were just running out of groceries. I mean, we were broke. And a farmer came up and he brought, he brought, they, he had, he brought a bunch of bagged frozen peas, black-eyed peas. Now, we thought they were fresh peas, but they were frozen. Well, come to find out when Sheila cooked them, they smelled and tasted, they tasted like the freezer. And what had happened was these were from a previous year, a couple of years ago, and I know what he thought, well, I hate to throw them away, let's go give them to the preacher. And, and let me tell you this, I never forgot that because it hurt. You know, it always hurts when you and I, when we are given a gift and, and there's no sacrifice or there's no cost in it. And so here you have Cain, and it's the opposite of the widow's might. You remember when Jesus was watching those people as they were putting in their offering, and all of a sudden he saw that woman with two shaved pieces of copper, and they had these trumpet-like instruments there, these trumpet-like gathering, uh, uh, like a little bit like our offering plates, only they were designed differently. And Jesus was watching people put their offerings in, and a lot of people were making a big show out of it. And then he sees this little widow woman who reaches into and she unwraps that, that little leather pouch that she has, and she pulls out two copper shavings, which were mites. You remember two mites? And she puts them in. And Jesus calls his disciples. He said, you see that woman there? He said, she gave the most. What? What do you mean she gave the most? She gave what? She gave all. She gave everything that she had. She could have kept one mite, gave one mite. She could have, give, she could have been a 50% giver, but she gave everything. Sometimes you and I have to understand something, that our giving to God is measured by what we have left after we give. Let me tell you, a lot of times when I leave this place, I am absolutely exhausted because I have given everything I have, not only in worship, I'm not doing what you're doing now, not only worship, but in the preaching of the word. You see, this was a, Cain was an Esau kind of guy. He was the kind of guy that spiritual things really didn't mean anything to him. And like Esau, he had traded the blessing for a, well, he had, he had traded for a pot of soup. Sometimes that's how we approach God. Well, we don't have anything to do tomorrow. How about we go to church? So, so here you see, and, and what is critical here, it's not first fruits. And you'll see in a moment when we look at, when we look at, uh, when we look at Abel here. You know the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. So Cain, if you, if we were honest, we would say, well, Cain chose an offering without any consideration as to the quality or the first fruits, it's just a gift that's thrown together. 
And I can tell you this much, ladies. You know when your husband has put some time and effort into an anniversary gift, a birthday gift, or whether he's just... And I tell men all the time, don't buy things off the clearance rack. Buy them too small, make them expensive, and she'll take them back anyway. But you see, a lot of it has to do... So we get the feeling here that Cain just kind of... He just kind of grabs something up and and goes to God. Now look at verse 4, because I think this is good. It says, but Abel... And automatically here, the writer here, Moses, is wanting us to understand the contrast here. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the what? The firstborn of his flock. It's, It's as if... Abel is a contrast or uh, the opposite of what we see in Cain. In other words, we get the feeling here, firstlings or firstborn, fat portions. It's as if he went out into his flock and he was examining, he was studying and he was searching and he was trying to find the perfect sacrifice, the best that he had. Have you ever had somebody give you a gift and the first thing you did was go, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have done this. Have you ever gotten a gift? Sometimes you'll start to tear up and you'll look and you'll go, this, this is too much. Shouldn't have done this. You, you've, gone, you've gone too far. Has it, let me ask you something. Has it ever occurred to us that God has feelings? He's jealous. He loves. He gets angry. Has it ever occurred to you that you and I can hurt God's feelings? Paul said we can grieve the Holy Spirit, so it makes sense, doesn't it? It's almost as if, and we'll see in a moment, it's almost as if Cain has hurt God. But Abel comes along, and Donald Gray Barnhouse said this. He said, Abel's attitude is this. Nothing is too good for God. C.T. Studd, a great cricket player in England and a very, very uh, multi-millionaire, very wealthy, aristocratic man in England, when he became a follower of Christ, when he became a Christian, he was asked about giving up so much. And C.T. Studd made this statement. He said, because Christ died on the cross and gave everything for me, he said, what I'm giving is, he said, that's almost insignificant. It's really not too much to sacrifice. Listen to this quote here. To give him the first, that is God, to give God the first and the best is an act of faith that he will provide what we need for ourselves. Now let me repeat that. To give God the best and the first is an act of faith that he will provide what we need when we need it. In other words, we just put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Deny what? Self. Some writers say, well, this has to do with material things. It's because Cain is offering the fruit of the ground, and they, they kind of spiritualize this, and I think some of this may be true when you think about it. Because uh, let me ask you this. How did Adam and Eve hide the result of their sin? How did they hide? Fig leaves. Fig leaves. Vegetation. In other words, Eve got busy over on the Sanger sewing machine. Hang on, stay behind the bush, Adam, I got you covered. You know? 
Adam's standing over there like this while Eve's working on the Sanger sewing machine, getting everything ready, you know. Now, when, when God confronts them, is their covering adequate for God? Is it appropriate? No. Because they recognize we're what? We're naked. And God says, who told you that? And they begin to tell the story and blaming each other and blaming the serpent. And, you know, they go into... And, and, and what does... God, let me ask you this. Who's the, first, who's the first being to kill in the Bible? It's a good trivia question because you know what everybody says? Cain? No. The first one to kill in the Bible is who? God. God kills, God sheds blood, God kills an animal to do what Adam and Eve could not do and to teach us something. Without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission, there's no forgiveness of sin. In other words, what Cain represented, he represented man's efforts, man's works, man's attempt to try to fix up, cover up. You see, it's a works kind of salvation. I've got to, I've got to cover my sin, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll do it myself. Some people look at this and they say, you know, God's not fair here. And I remember when I was a boy, I would read this and I'd think, you know, that's not right. God... It seems like to me he's kind of picking on Cain. But the reality is, is that we believe that Cain understood that blood sacrifice was the only way to cover sin. And that what he had to do here was he had to go to his brother Abel, he had to take the best of his crop and say to Abel, Abel, I'd like to barter, I'd like to make an exchange. Here's a portion of my crop. I need a lamb, I need a sacrifice. Again, Hebrews 11.4 says this, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. 1 John 3.12 cautioned us not to be like Cain, who, it, for, uh, who John referred to as the wicked one who murdered his brother. So there's a question of sacrifice, then there's a question of surrender. Look at verse 5 and 6. It says, The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, latter part of verse 4, verse 5, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor, so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, Cain offers and God rejects, but I want you to see this. Even though God rejects his sacrifice, God's looking for him. I think that's interesting. Even though God is disappointed, maybe even hurt with Cain, he's still looking for Cain. He's trying to find Cain. He's confronting Cain. But when he sees Cain, I want you to listen, when he sees Cain, Cain looks like a seething, simmering volcano. He can tell that Cain is mad. You ever see people and you know they're mad? Now, I can tell you one thing. I'm not one. I, you may be able to hide it, but I can't hide it. <laughs> Man, I've got a face that'll show it. If I'm mad, I'm mad. You got one of those faces? I, I was in revival this week. I met a woman who had one of those faces. I preached, on, I preached on the rapture. I preached on the second coming of Jesus Christ. And man, as soon as I got through and I came down out of the pulpit, I wasn't there but a few minutes, Jeff, this woman came up. And I mean, buddy, you're talking about mad? She was mad. She began to rake me over the coals about my, my understanding of Scripture. She wanted to know this and that. Boy, she was just drilling me. And of course, her husband was... You know, he didn't have much of a backbone and she was just going at it. And I was trying to be nice, trying to be kind. Finally, I looked at her and I said, Ma'am, could I ask you your background? She said, I'm Church of Christ. 
You know, when God saw Cain, what he saw was he saw bitterness. He saw anger. That word bitter is that word you've heard me say so many times in the Greek. It's pikros. It means sticky anger when people get angry and it sticks to them. And Cain has anger that is stuck to him. He's bitter toward his brother. And instead of Cain taking responsibility here when God confronts him, because what God does is God says, he says in verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you, ang- why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do right, will you not be accepted? So God confronts him, and instead of, God, instead of Cain taking responsibility and saying, listen, God, this is my fault. I realized that it was a blood sacrifice, and I'm, I'm sorry, God, I was wrong. Instead, and I love what Herschel Hobbes said here. He said Cain was, mad at, Cain was mad at society when he should have been looking within himself. His was the attitude of much silly thinking today that would make society or somebody else the criminal instead of the criminal. In other words, our tendency when God confronts us about anything is we automatically turn and look for somebody to blame. It's my parents, it was the way I was raised, it's my dad, it's my mom, it's my siblings, I was the last born, I was the first born, I was a middle child, it's my boss, it's my job, it's my marriage, it's this husband I'm married to, it's his wife, it's these bad old kids I got, it's raising kids, it's this, it's that, you know, and over and over again, we tend to look around and try to find somebody to blame. And this was Cain. Where does it come from? When God told Adam and Eve, listen, you've got a beautiful place here. We've got great fellowship. You've got everything that your heart could desire but that one tree. You see that one tree? That tree is the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree. Did they listen? No. And when they sinned and they disobeyed God and God confronts them, what is the first thing they do? Adam says, whoa. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. I came in. She had an apple pie. You know, whatever. You know, immediately Adam goes, God, wait a minute. It's that woman... You gave me. You and hey, you and I were fine. You know. I could have lived with a dog. You're the one that brought this woman into the picture. Wasn't me. Wasn't my idea. The woman goes over here and says, God, it was the you remember Flip Wilson for the old senior adults? They they can remember Flip Wilson. He'd say, Oh, the devil made me do it. Right? Eve said. Eve said, it's the serpent. It's the serpent's fault. You see, there was always shifting responsibility. You know, I I believe that sometimes this is what happens to us. We never want to take responsibility for the mistakes that we made. I read this story of a governor who went to a prison, and he was going to pardon one person in this prison. So he went and he started interviewing all these prisoners. Over and over and over again, the prisoners were going, look, I didn't do it. I'm innocent. I shouldn't be here. You know, and and he heard that. He heard that one time, 10 times, 50 times. He just heard that. He heard that 100 times. Finally, he went to one cell, and there was this old guy. He was sitting over in the corner. 
He sat down and he looked at him and, and the guy said, Governor, I'm just going to be honest with you. He said, I'm guilty. I did it. I was wrong. I take full responsibility for it. The governor jumped up, been banging, calling for the guards. He said, guards, get in here quick and get this man out, get this guilty man out of here before he corrupts all these innocent inmates. The publican, when he came to the altar, beat his breast and cried out and said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. The prodigal son, the Bible said, Jesus said he came to himself and repentant came back to the Father. But you don't see that here. So there's a, there's a question of surrender. And then thirdly and lastly, there's a question of sin. Let me tell you this much. I believe that Genesis 4, 6 and 7 outside of salvation, are the most powerful verses in all the Bible. If you and I could learn how to do Genesis 4, 6 and 7, it would revolutionize our life and it would change our lives and bring blessings to our life that there's no telling what God might do. I want you to see this because this is important. Watch again in verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? God still gave Cain an opportunity to make it right. He still gave, he, he, he was seeking out Cain, and all he was saying is, Cain, first of all, he was saying something to Cain, he's saying something to us. Sin is a choice, right? Sin is a choice. He was saying, if he listened to this, if you do what is right, and what he was saying, just like your parents, you have a decision that you're getting ready to make with your own will. This is a lesson, Cain, that your parents learned the hard way. Don't you learn the same lesson? I told, I was, Jeffrey and I were talking last night. I said, the most difficult part of parenting is the ability of parents to speak truth into their children's lives because most of the time kids don't want to listen. We parents have learned some lessons that out of love we don't want our kids to learn them again, right? In fact, I just said it again. The most, I wrote this down. The most frustrating part of parenting is kids will not allow the parents to speak into their lives and so they learn the lessons of the parents again. What God was saying to Cain is, Cain, you are at the crossroads here and don't make a mistake. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him. Do you know what that means? That means that you and I come to a point in our life that we are faced with major decisions. You know what the Bible says? Stop, drop, and pray. I'm at a crossroad of a decision. I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm not necessarily looking at what makes sense or seems rational. I need a word from God. The word acknowledge is the picture there that I stop, I drop, I pray, and I say, God, I need you to give me wisdom in which way I should go. What God was trying to say to Cain was exactly what he had said to Adam and Eve. He was saying, listen, Cain, you are at a crossroad here. Your enemy, look how he words it here in verse 7. 
if you do what is right, you will, not, you, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, look at this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Your enemy, Cain, is like a roaring lion and he's like a lion sitting in tall grass looking at an impala. We've all seen that picture in Africa. When you see those impala, you'll see an impala, an antelope-looking creature, a deer-like creature, and you'll see that lion as it's slipping through the grass, getting closer and closer, and you know the chase is getting ready to begin. Our enemy, your enemy, is like a roaring lion, lion and he's seeking to devour. That's what he does. A lion, when, when a lion kills an animal, a lion will crawl up the back, a lion can snap. It'll snap the neck, break the neck of a zebra. That's the power in it. A leopard, a leopard will actually grab, it kills its victim by grabbing the throat and choking off the airway and suffocating the animal. That's your enemy. Your enemy's trying to either break your neck and disable you, or your enemy is trying to suffocate, to snuff out the Holy Spirit in your life. Your enemy loves when you and I grieve the Holy Spirit, or we quench the Holy Spirit. That's what your enemy's wanting to do. I've been told this, never look a bear in the eye. They say, never look a bear in the eye. But do you know what safari people will tell you about a lion? Never take your eye off the lion. You never look a bear in the eye, it's an act of aggression. That bear's a grizzly or whatever that bear is, that bear's coming after you. You don't look a bear in the eye. When you see a lion, you don't take your eye off a lion. You keep your eyes, you're backing up, but you keep your eyes locked on the eyes of a lion. My friend, let me tell you what happens to so many of us. When the enemy is crouching, when the enemy's trying to hurt and bring harm into our lives, the reality is we get our eyes off the lion of the tribe of Judah and we look at the lion in the grass who goes about like a lion and he's not a lion. These are the most powerful verses to me in all the Bible. Because what God is saying is sin is conceived in the heart. This is the control center and sin must sin is a choice. Sin is crouching and sin must be controlled. It is what Adam and Eve had failed to do. A man by the name of Charles Pfeiffer said this. He said murder was in his heart before it was on his hands. Listen to what one writer said when God was talking about mastering sin. Sin must be in control. When sin get Well, let me read this. Listen to this. Sin must be controlled. Here, sin is out of control. It's running rampant in this family. It has destroyed the garden. It has destroyed fellowship with God. It has severed a marriage, brought brokenness into a marriage. It has wounded the children. Sin is out of control and now is on the verge of murder. One writer said in Cain's present mood he was at the mercy of this beast but God says through repentance and faith he is able to master this beast. It is one thing, listen to this, it is one thing to be tempted it is something else to be mastered by the temptation because Cain did not conquer the beast. Listen to this, this is critical. He was conquered by it. 
either you and I conquer and discipline and bring these bodies under the submission of God's Holy Spirit, bringing those flesh appetites, bringing all those things under the leadership and the guidance of the disciplines of God's Holy Spirit, we either master sin or sin masters us. You either master your diet or your diet masters you. This is sin. This is what sin does. I, I, I wrote this down. To get, listen, please hear me. Men, listen to me closely. To give up and to give in to sin is catastrophic to everyone. I know what happens. The same thing happens to me. If you can't beat them, join them. I just give up. I'm just going to throw in the towel. I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to live like everybody else because what good does it do? Listen, when you and I give in to sin and we allow sin to master us and to have that control in our life, it wreaks unbelievable, catastrophic things. It's not about you. It's about the people who love you and care about you and it's what will happen to them in the process. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't give up. You can't throw in the towel. Because if you do, I met a man this week. I was talking to him, and before long, tears began to well up in his eyes. Big man. He made this say, He's not a member of this church. None of these people are, or I wouldn't use it. But he just broke down and and I asked him, I said, why? I said, why is this family just ripped all to pieces? And he looked at me and he said, bad seed. Bad seed. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, my dad was a young man. He said, my dad committed adultery. He said, my dad left my mom, left us kids. He ended up marrying another woman, and he had another family. But he said, he said, but it has been absolutely horrible for everybody. And he said, my dad said this, I have died a thousand times deaths for that mistake and it's too late and this man looked at me and he said bad seed you know what God and we, I know we need to close do you know what God was saying to Cain he was saying Cain stop stop Cain don't sow no more seed don't sow no more bad seed. Cain, look at me. Stop. Cain, Cain, hate is in your heart. Murder's in your heart, Cain. Look at me, Cain. Stop, Cain. Stop now, Cain. Your enemy, the devil, is like a crouching lion, Cain. He's getting, he's getting ready to pounce on you, Cain. He's going to master you, Cain. Stop, Cain. Look at me. Don't let him do that. You either control your enemy or your enemy will control you. Can you either get control of this 
or it will take you down a road and there'll be seed and there'll be a crop. Cain, don't do it. Swindoll said this. He said in the early 90s, he preached a sermon, I'll never forget it, and he was preaching to parents, and he said, in the days ahead, he said, mark my word, it's going to take a strong resolve to raise kids. Wow. Was he right? The cancer of sin, if sin's getting out of control in your life, you've got to master it. You say, how can I do that? By the lordship of Jesus Christ. Lordship means, Jesus, you're the master. I'm under your leadership. Everything I do is going to go through you first. If the cancer of sin is out of control in your life, let me give you three things real quickly and I'm closing. Cut off the accessibility to the sin, whatever that sin is. If it's, in a, if it's a relationship, you better run from it. Whatever it is. If it's a drug, if it's alcohol, if whatever it is. If it's friendships that you know are taking you down the wrong path, you better cut off the accessibility to that sin. Number two, you better cultivate accountability. You better go to some godly brothers and sisters in Christ and you better say, this is where I'm at. I need you to pray with me. If you're a man, you need to be with men. If you're a woman, you need to be with women. Number three, you need to make choices according to the scripture. Listen to this, great quote. The best way to kill a snake is to cut its head off, I mean to cut its tail off right behind its ears. Best way to kill a snake, cut its tail off right behind its ears. You better kill that snake. And finally this, and, and, and let me say this, we have in that story, we have a murderer and we have a martyr. One man will murder, the other man becomes the martyr. The one who was martyred, the one who was murdered, was the one who did the right thing. Hear me, listen to me closely. Abel did the right thing even though it cost him. Sometimes you and I have to do the right thing and be the martyr. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because isn't that what Christ did for us? You know, when I was... Um, when I, I, this revival was at my hometown... So going back, I would go to my dad's every day. And Sheila and I, we'd ride up through the hills on these gravel roads, you know, going to my dad's house. And I always laugh because there's this big clump of pine trees. I mean, like a big wad of them. Big, massive pine trees coming up over the ground. And I tell Sheila, I said, those pine trees, I said, let me tell you about them. When I was a teenager, dad would, from the Forestry Commission would get one, two, three thousand pine seedlings, these little seedlings. And he would make us go out all over our land and plant these pine trees. Lee, you're artist mountain. You, you know where this is going. So, man, I'd be tired, and he'd say, now put, make a hole, put a tree, you know, put the dirt in, go over and make another, you know, and plant these trees. Well, you want to guess what I'd do? I'd get tired. I'd take a big wad of them. Stick a, stick a bunch of them down in there, you know. And, and then Dad would ask, now, did, did you plant those pine trees? Oh, yes, sir, I planted every one of them. Did you do it the way I told you? Oh, yes, sir, I did it exactly the way you told me to do. Those trees have been bearing testimony 
to my lying and my undercover work since I was a teenager and I'm 58. 40 years later, I've got these 40-plus-year-old uh, pine trees and a big wad that are bearing testimony to what I did. Now, let me tell you what I could do. I could go out there and cut them down. I could have slipped out there a long time ago and just cut them down. I could do it now. I'm tired of looking at these trees, and I'm not going to tell that story no more. Whack! Zap them suckers off, and we ain't going to have to look at that no more. Or I can sit under that shade of that tree, those trees, the mistakes that I've made, the failures, repentant and broken, and use that as a way of teaching you and teaching other people to say, be sure your sins will find you out. God said, Cain, and let me say this, you better dog ear that page, circle it, and you better go back to it and think about it. Because if you don't master sin, sin will master you. And the only way you're going to master sin is by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, dear Lord, that you have spoken. You have reminded us, dear Lord, how critical it is to walk in the fellowship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that, dear Lord, through Adam and Eve and Cain and even Abel, that we are taught lessons that can affect our lives for good or evil. We pray, dear Lord, for some in this room that may not know you. They fall victim to sin over and over again. They have nothing in their arsenal to fight it. They're in and out of addiction. They're in and out of failure. Their lives are just hopelessly and helplessly in bondage to, to, the, to the things of this world. They reach in to try to pull something out of their arsenal, something to fire, some weapon to use. They turn over a new leaf. They go to counseling. They take this new medication. They do this, they do that, but nothing seems to work. They need Jesus. They need the power of your Holy Spirit to come into their life and to begin to give them some victories. So I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here, a man or woman, a young person, a boy or girl, teenager, college student, that looks at their life and says, I'm like Cain. I've been living in bondage. Sin is mastering me. It controls my life. They know that they're lost. We pray, dear Lord, right now that they would repent of their sin and invite you to come into their heart and to forgive them and be their Lord and Master. There's another group in this room. There are people that are Christians. But here lately, sin has been beating them up. They've allowed things to become strongholds in their life. They have failed in the disciplines of their faith. They have not been in the Word like they should. They have not been in prayer like they should. They have begun to uh, drop out of the fellowship of other believers. And the enemy is crouching at the door. And the enemy is causing bad seed to be sown. And Lord, for those in this room, it may be a matter of repentance, of brokenness, of God calling out whatever their name be, just like he did Cain. Cain, Cain, listen to me, Cain. Look at me, Cain. 
you stop right now, Cain. Don't drop another seed in the ground. Don't let sin go any farther than it already has. Stop it now. And whoever may be here may need to put their name where Cain's name is. So it may be a recommitment, a rededication. Saying, Lord, here I am. It may be to come to this altar and to pray, confess. There may be some here that need to plant their life here. Whatever that decision, Lord, lead people to do it in this invitation. And we give you the glory in the name of Jesus.